Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gauthier. All right, welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matthew, how are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you, Justin? I am doing well. I think, uh, you know, I'm excited to, uh, you know, we got the old email the other day about uh, things opening up and, and you know, voluntary uh, back at the office. I'm starting to see more people out and about. And so hopefully there's brighter days right around the corner, which I think there are. So uh, certainly a glimmer of hope. Rig count seems to be chatter about people adding rigs. And, uh, you know, I think, I think I think things are looking pretty good right now compared to the, what they've been over the last four months. Yes, we are not under a stay-at-home order wondering if we are all going to die of a highly infectious disease, although there's still risks out there that we need to respect, but it it does seem like things are, at least in the greater Houston area, getting a little better um, with some hope that they can relax some of those controls. And um, I just got to say, like, uh, you know, I'm involved in our lab, so I come into the office periodically, uh, and, you know, obviously we still can't you know, gather together, you know, sit in the break room and have lunch together, do certain things. But it is just really, I don't know, joyful, life-giving. I don't I don't know what the right words to describe it. It's just to be there present with other people. Yeah, um, no, it's, I can agree more. It's, I mean, in, in our, again, our business is so, <clears throat> it's a very people-oriented business, a lot of face-to-face, a lot of camaraderie, uh, just a, a lot of things happen um, that move the needle when people are together making decisions and coming up with ideas. And so, uh, you know, when we got the email about, you know, possibly heading back, it was, uh, it was a breath of fresh air. And so I'm looking forward to, you know, throwing the, throwing the, uh, office gear back on and strapping up yeah. the boots and heading in here next week. So, uh, great leap forward for my personal hygiene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm getting a haircut today. So uh, right away I started lining things up to look uh, presentable back in this back to society. <laughs> yeah, I'll so, probably have more laundry to do because I won't be wearing undershirts all the time, but uh, we'll get yeah. there. Right, right. Well, before we get going on the mud side, Matt, baseball, let, let's let's give a briefing on baseball, man. What, what do you think's happening with the Astros right now? How are they playing? Have you even been watching? Of course, I've been watching. It right. was tough to watch there for a little while. Um, yeah. There are lots of injuries, you know. I don't know if it's if it's what all it's related to, but... Um, you know, Jordan Alvarez comes back first at bat, hits a home run, mm. then knee soreness, probably surgery, probably out for the season. Oh, I saw that very disappointing, but, um, Granky is electric, really yeah. fun to watch, including being very comfortable shouting out at his catcher from the mound, what signs he wants to use, um, which <laughs> yeah. is usually not something a pitcher wants to give away while someone is in the batter's box. Um, hey, he's confident. I give him that. You know, and uh, even Framber Valdez, who I usually associate with train wreck outings, uh, <laughs> last night he did great. The past two, you know, the Astros have scored over ten runs each time. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, so I am quite pleased watching the Astros right now. Um, but it's you know, like a proper fan, I'm I'm nervous and I'm pointing out all the vulnerabilities and, and issues. Yeah, but uh, 
it's, it's, uh, it's just good to have some baseball and, um, good to see the Astros playing better, even if these injuries are driving me nuts. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And then Altuve, I, I saw they're wanting himself to get put back in the battering order. Is that just because he hadn't been performing very well or is he yeah. putting himself in the penalty box? What is he doing? He wasn't hitting very well. They're trying to get him to, you know, find a bit of a rhythm. So they moved him back to about seventh, but he batted in, in the uh, number two last night. Mm-hmm. Um, Springer was back. Springer hurt his wrist. He, he needs to just hit home runs so he doesn't have to slide and hurt his hand on bases. That's yeah, no what it seems like. So, um, but Springer was back. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, Michael Brantley, I need you. Yeah. One of the the best hitters in baseball. He's just fun to watch his at bats and, uh, him being hurt is, is another frustration. Verlander, you know, not back yet, but hopefully he'll be back. Uh, yeah, it's eating at me, but yes, that's, that's my baseball update. I could go on, but I don't want to sabotage this episode. It's good. I, you know, I'm sure everyone likes the commentating and, uh, for those of you who don't like baseball, that's uh, I, I don't know how you couldn't. You know, it's, it's it's America's game, as they say. So, nonetheless, Matt, um, let's talk mud. So, uh, but before we get going, I just want to encourage everybody: if you could leave a review, that would be greatly appreciated. That really just shows your support. And so, we've got a lot more downloads than we do reviews. So, uh, just take if if you're on the rig or if you're in your office or. I mean, if you're driving, maybe not, but uh, if you could just please take it just a couple minutes, leave a review, even if you just hit the five stars there on the, uh, you know, on your app or whatever platform you're using, that'd be greatly appreciated. And hopefully everyone liked our bit series. Uh, you know, I think it was great. I learned a lot, Matt. I, I you know, yeah. I, I'm sure, you know, we generated some great conversation with Sterling and, and, uh, just, you know, the evolution and technology that goes into bits. And so again, if you haven't listened to it, uh, it was the last couple episodes, uh, we did two of them. So, uh, and if you have any questions on that stuff, feel free to reach out to uh, either one of us or Sterling Robinson over at Barrel, who, uh, you know, just did a fantastic job educating, you know, all of us on the bit side of things. So, but today we're going to talk mud back to the mud side, um, you know, and, and more specific with, uh, actual products that we use on the rig. Um, and we're going to talk broad two different categories. We're going to talk liquid products versus dry products. Uh, you know, some of the advantages and differences, considerations when adding both. But uh, Matt, so let's let's go ahead and just start there. So, <clears throat> you know, on a rig, there's different ways to achieve properties, and that's through adding chemicals. Some are dry, some are liquid. Let's start off with liquids, Matt. How would you describe a liquid additive, maybe some of the advantages, and, and just kind of, you know, walk us through the, the liquid side of, of uh, products that we use? Sure. So, um, you know, if you think about it, liquids, uh, some of our, our stuff always comes as a liquid or, or generally almost always does. It's in a drum or a tote. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, emulsifiers and wetting agents, pretty much, you know, for the most part, there are dry additives we're going to talk about, but those are very common as just liquids that pour in, you blend in, um, they do their thing. But, you know, for example, like a polymer, like xanthan gum, I think a lot of us know that you can get xanthan gum as a dry product, but you can also get it as a liquid. Um, and, uh, you know, there's advantages and, and disadvantages to that. But with respect to, um, you know, mixing time when it's already dispersed, you just pour the thing in. That works out, you know, pretty easily. Uh, then, And so that's the reason that, for example, you may want a liquid additive is just how, easy, how much easier it is to mix when it might be cheaper to source dry. Mm. Um, so that you know, other, um, 
other liquids think of like a defomer it it probably you know an alcohol-based defomer it would be fairly expensive to get it as a dry additive um right. it pretty much just comes that way but it's also really nice because i can dump it straight in on top of the pits right so normally when i'm having a foaming issue i want that stuff to blend up in a hurry right um so what about so there's a lot of different crossovers that have um uh, liquid versus dry can you name some of the other ones that that we may use that maybe people aren't familiar with because like you said i think a lot of it is is the oil-based products um but even stuff like uh you know like for like even oil-based rheology there's there's different ones um can you think of any other ones that maybe people aren't aware of that maybe have a unique application whether it's different systems or offshore or can you speak on that a little bit um i i mean you know there's Pretty much almost everything that is dry could arguably be dispersed in a liquid. You know, a lot of them are polymers like AGC, guar gum, um, uh, uh, PHPA is a really common one, right? Like if, yeah. if you're uh, uh, drilling and, and think about how handy it is to, you know, have a little bit of liquid PHPA, you could just, you know, dump down the pipe or, or into the slugging pit versus trying to get that sheared up and dispersed. Um, so, so polymers, and then you mentioned, you know, on the oil-based side, so we might use, for example, an organophilic clay, but we're actually dependent on the solid clay properties. You could put it in a slurry, but you probably would, you know, I've never seen it and it would Mm -hmm. add cost. Um, but you know, conversely, we might have, you know, liquid polymers are fairly common. Um, fluid loss control additives. I know, uh, offshore, um, I've used, uh, um, one of the synthetic fluid loss control additives is more or less what's used to make tires. Um, and there's actually a process to dry it. So it costs more dry. Um, but as a li- liquid, you're basically taking it out earlier in the process and just pouring it in. Yeah. Um, there's, there's an upside and downside to that. So, um, you know, there's, there's a number of those things. I would say that like on the, on the dry additives, um, you know, emulsifiers and wetting agents, uh, you know, I feel like every few years there's like a theme to where the industry's headed, right? You know, deep water, uh, unconventional. Um, you hear the, these different things, and and probably know, very beginning of my career, probably 15 years ago, uh, one of the big things was the Arctic. We were all going to go up to the Arctic and get oil out out, and it's going to require all this new technology. Um, and part of that sort of theme was how are we going to add products when it's minus 40 Fahrenheit? Um, yeah. And so, cause a lot of it, if you've talked to anybody who's worked up in, you know, on the North slope, for example, they talk about basically having to take drums out of a shack and then take them into, uh, you know, you basically put them in a drum heater, wait a certain amount of time, make sure it can pour and then bring it out and add it. And so you kind of have this orchestra of moving product around to make sure that you can actually pour it into the hopper or pour it pour into the pits. Um, and if you fall behind or you go on losses or something like that, all bets are off, right? Because mm-hmm. there's only a certain rate and a certain number of drum heaters and all that kind of thing. Right. Um, so that was, that was a, at least initially one of the big drivers behind, um, behind the, the, you know, dry additive campaign for, for oil-based muds. Interesting. Um, so at least that was the first time I heard of it. And, and certainly, uh, you know, I've seen, seen plenty more of it since then. Right. So with regards to the dry products, uh, obviously it works much more favorable in cold 
temperatures. Um, but what other advantages maybe uh, on the actual, maybe like the chemistry or the activity side of things? Can you speak on maybe the differences or, and advantages to dry versus the uh, liquid? Sure. So, um, I, I mean, sometimes it can be more active. Sometimes it'll be less active. So for example, um, you know, per unit volume, let's say a, a can of liquid xanthan probably isn't going to have as much xanthan as that same amount of volume of dry product, right? The dry is, is more active. Um, similarly, uh, you know, a lot of these additives, we, uh, we add, um, a poor point suppressant. So a lot of emulsifiers and wetting agents specifically uh, you'd add a what we call a diluent, uh, which could be base fluid, uh, you know, depend, but you pay for that. So there's a cost to it. But the other part of it is, uh, since they're solvents, they may, um, they're going to dilute the overall amount of active product. So that being said, a dry product, sometimes they'll claim is, you know, hundred percent active, uh, because you don't dilute it. You put it on a carrier like silica or something like that. And so now I, I've just basically, typically it's like a spray drying process, something like that, where I actually didn't have to dilute it at all to add it onto some particle or carrier um, to make it a dry additive. Um, so, you know, the activity there is, is definitely an interesting point. And something, you know, another thing that um, if you've ever used an old can of PHPA or, or xanthan, you know that uh, sometimes the top of the container doesn't have nearly as much product as the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so usually when you're adding a five gallon can all at once, it doesn't make much of a difference as long as it all gets out. Uh, but you know, over time you could end up having to cut the top off and there's a bunch of material caked at the bottom. So it's not really dispersing. You're not getting as much out of the product. Um, so dry obviously isn't going to settle. You have to add all of it. Um, right. or there's no risk of it settling. So um, if with regards to shelf life, assuming all things equal with weather and they're not getting wet and everything else, just like time alone, is there much of a difference? Now, of course, it depends on products, but I would imagine that, you know, given the, the right climate, the dry product even uh, would probably be favorable just because of the settling of potential or the potential for settling in a, in a liquid product. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the stuff can pack, right? Like yeah. it's, there's still where it can agglomerate, you know, old products tend to get hard. Um, there's still the risk of that. A lot of that comes down to packaging. Right. Um, so there's, there's a little bit more to, to think about on, on that front. You know, sure. one, I, I got a war story. You just inspired me. <laughs> so, um, well, and, and this comes up a lot, right? So one thing we, we try and use totes because we can reuse them and, you know, drums are a waste stream and there's risks of somebody trying to take them and reuse them for something. Um, and certainly uh, when I worked in Indonesia, um, you know, we were, we were drilling a lot of times in the middle of nowhere in jungles. And so it was a lot of villagers and, and that sort of thing that you were fairly close in contact with. And um, they wanted those drums. Uh, and they wanted them, you know, they, what they would want to do is either cut them in half and flatten them as like a, uh, uh, you know, a shelter, like a, a piece of sheet metal to put on a roof. Um, but other, you know, other things they would try and do is even, um, uh, you know, we were really scared they would use them for water storage too. Right. Um, and so basically you would either bring a drum crusher out on site and, this is remote. So it's pretty expensive to get all this stuff out there. 
but you wanted to break that thing down so it was beyond use. So there was never a risk of somebody, you know, swiping one while you weren't looking. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that was a big challenge, um, with respect to packaging was making sure that these drums were, uh, you know, not, not being taken. Right. Um, and one of the, one of the big deals was I, I went and did a rig visit and I noticed that they weren't locking up the waste and they didn't have a, um, if you don't have a, a drum crusher, you're supposed mm -hmm. to, you know, take a pickaxe and, and punch holes in the side, that sort of thing. So it can't hold water. Um, and they hadn't done that. And so I said, look, you got to lock all this stuff up in a container. And what had happened was it turned out that the local mafia, if you will, was stealing them and reselling them. And so they were threatening to rough up the roustabouts oh, for huh. locking up the packaging. And it became this whole thing because it was like, obviously we can't give them drums that stored chemicals, but obviously we can't go the other way, you know? And, um, and so was it, could we provide something that would alleviate this issue, um, come up with some sort of understanding, but it was, um, it like, it was a big deal where it was like, yeah, they don't want to steal, you know, empty sacks. They want, <laughs> yeah. so, huh. yeah. Where, where someone's uh, waste is another man's treasure is what they say. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, no, interesting story, though. I mean, I, I've, uh, you know, even being on a rig, you, you do oftentimes hear folks, whether that, you know, if they live in the country or wherever, um, just finding an, a, a use for some of the waste generated at the rig site. Um, you know, you hear about casing and, and not, you know, I've had. I've had uh, ring hands asked for the totes, you know, and, oh yeah. And granted we reuse them and I think we do a fantastic job of doing so uh, unless they get damaged, of course, but um, you know, the ability to reuse drums, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the recycling process looks like on that front, but regardless, it's the people will find a use for almost anything. So you do have to be careful, especially dealing with various chemicals and uh, you don't, you obviously don't want it to come back to bite you. So <clears throat> very, uh, that's a good point, Matt. Um, Let's talk about the considerations of both. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times our business is you know, so driven on the economic side. Um, how would you describe the cost difference between the two? And, and again, I know it, it depends on case by case, but just kind of generally, what would you say? Well, I, it, it cuts both ways, right? So if it comes natively as a liquid and there's a step in preparation where you have to dry it, that adds cost, mm -hmm. right? Um, so a lot of these emulsifiers and that sort of thing, they do come as fairly thick liquids, but they are liquids, no less. Mm -hmm. And so it's cheaper to add a diluent than it would be to spray dry them. Um, then if you think about your liquid xanthan, of course it costs more or because it's got to be in this liquid carrier, which a lot of times is, you know, a mineral oil. Sometimes it has to be something, you know, a glycol or, or something that's, uh, more, environmentally friendly let's say if you're going to use it offshore um and so there there can be a, a fair amount of cost added on to that when you when you go that route um but it once again it, it depends on the product and and how how you know what it is and what the application is right so <clears throat> are there any cases where you know assuming cost is not necessarily the, the primary driver where using a liquid would be advantageous if you if you had a choice and let's just say the costs were equal assuming you know what i mean like is there a certain point where it's like you know what no we, we should be using the liquids well I, I, so one of the, like coiled tubing and workover units that typically don't have good mixing systems 
I think uh, those are great examples of where liquid additives are much more helpful because you, you simply can't get the product to yield if you use dry. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not, you probably don't have a shearing hopper. You probably basically have a pit with an agitator, uh, you know, a 15, 20 barrel pit, and that's, you pump it away. And right. so that's a good example. I think uh, the other side of it is, for example, when, uh, when I worked offshore, one of the things I love to be able to do is while drilling, uh, on the, the, the main deck was just above the pit room. And so we would get these 550 gallon totes of emulsifier and wetting agent, and you're continually adding wetting agent while you're drilling to oil wet the cuttings. And we would just crack a valve handle in that tote yeah. and get a, you know, a vis cup and measure the rate at which that wetting agent was being added. And when we stopped circulating, we'd shut it in or whatever. Yeah. But um, it was a really easy way to add product versus making sure there was somebody by the hopper all the time to handle sack material. Yeah, logistically, just you know, mixing is is certainly something that's a, has a huge advantage with the liquid and even pails. A lot of folks will, you know, pop a hole in there and uh, let it just a tiny yeah. little, you know, fingers, you know, a pinky finger stream going in. Uh, you know, just the more consistent your treatments are, obviously, the more consistent your your properties are going to be maintained and so that that definitely has some advantages and some dry products i mean you can still depending on how how well they flow uh sometimes they you know can you can trickle in but certainly not the consistency or dependability of a liquid product so that that that's definitely something that you know as a rig hand uh it, it, it yeah. makes things a lot easier <laughs> well especially the battle you know add one sack every 15 minutes oh, uh, yeah. you know or for 15 minutes versus every 15 minutes where yeah. they dump the sack in in 10 seconds, walk away and come back in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. You know, no, the, it's, those it's, things are fish eyes with polymers, you know, you, you add it too fast and you get that kind of thing. So, yeah, no, it's all things to consider. And that, that kind of brings it to my, to my next point is just regards to the actual, you know, the activation and the hydration of these products uh, and the solubility when, when mixing these, uh, there's a difference. And, and a lot of times, you know, with liquids, you know, the, the rate of which you add, it doesn't necessarily affect how well it's going to mix. Now it may get spotty in the system, but, uh, speak a little bit about that and, and how these products actually, you know, it's one thing to add them, but, but how they are reacting to the system and the other components of the system there's a bit of a difference there. And so I think it'd be kind of cool to hear what, like how that all actually works. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, some of it can be just how products yield. Right. So like the classic case I always ran into offshore was, um, you know, when you're drilling riserless and you're using sweeps to clear the hole, you might use prehydrated gel, um, assuming you had the time and the volume, but you're using seawater, which mm-hmm. is a little brackish. So it, it, you normally need to let it go for about 24 hours to get the viscosity you want. And then, of course, like anything, especially, you know, thinking of polymers in particular, it's just fairly difficult to, um, it, you know, there's, there's two things I would say, you know, one is, you know, if you have too high calcium or, or some of these other things, they're not going to yield either way, but they're going to, you're going to have a pretty hard time, especially with dry. And then, um, you know, on the, uh, uh, on the other side of it is if you need something really thick and you're going with dry product it takes a while to get all that blended in because as the fluid gets thicker, it gets harder to disperse mm-hmm. versus a liquid additive that readily yields continues to blend. Um, so there's, and there's tricks, uh, you know, mixing certain things, playing with the pH and stuff where you can, 
keep the viscosity down and then allow it, you know, get it dispersed and allow it to yield better. But liquid carriers are, are pretty nice. Um, so I think, uh, you know, that's part of it. Uh, you, you'd actually brought up the, the notion, I, I believe, of even just, you know, the sheer necessary to get to get things to yield right. some of the other other things. Um, so maybe why don't you shed some light on on what you had in mind with that with that point? Oh, just yeah, with regards to different mixing. Um, so especially like, let's say for if you're if you're for viscosity, for instance, um, if you're wanting to mix, say, something like a bentonite. Uh, versus a polymer such as like a xanthan gum a lot of times it'll just take more product to say more gel to yield the same results as it would say a polymer and i think it's interesting to note that you know like it's one thing to look at just a cost but if you look at you know the difference between how much you actually have to mix versus you know even tying it back into logistics um you know, the amount of solids that's being added, uh, there's different ways to, I mean, to achieving the same results, but getting there, um, has other, you know, effects on the system, um, versus, you know, one comparing one to the other. And so again, it's just a basic example. And it's, it's something, cause I've had people ask like, well, why would you mix one versus the other? And, and while you get the same results, um, one might generate a higher plastic viscosity, one may generate, you know, which, you know, through adding more solids, uh, one might give you a funnel viscosity, but might not give you the yield point in the low ends that you're looking for. And so it's just something to consider, and, and, you know, while you're, you know, depending on, on the objective of why you're using something, uh, it, it's just good to know that while, you know, just on a like say sack per sack basis, one might look more advantageous than the other. Uh, there's reason and, and there's, there's, you know, the, I guess the the efficiency of how products work are, are a lot different, and and, and just the, the simple one, like I said, is a xanthan versus you know a, a gel or even a salt gel if you're doing it in a in a saline environment, yeah. or, you know, with a brine and stuff like that. So it's just you know interesting things to consider because I think some people like one versus the other, but um, you know tying it back to HSNE, I mean, if you could add five sacks of something that'll yield the same results as say a pallet of something. Um, less trucks on the road, less generated waste, you know, we're in oil and gas, but we obviously want to make sure that we're good stewards to the environment. And so there, you know, it, you know, there, there's a domino effect to everything. Um, and so just, just really more so things to consider while making the decisions on how to move forward with why we're doing or how we're doing things. Yeah. That's a good point. So, yeah, yeah, that was really my, my point on that. Uh, so I think one thing, and, you know, I guess tying it into HSNE, I mean, is there, is there much of a difference uh, I know for dry chemicals versus liquid, I mean, a lot of times liquid, you can, you know, like I said, punch a hole in a bucket or oh, crack a valve and away you go. Um, whereas mixing dry chemical, there's a lot of, ha- you know, there's a, there's a lot of dust and residual that whether it gets on your skin or, you know, breathing the air. I mean, obviously we wear our P- PPE and, and we, we de-risk a lot of that, but you know, the fact of the matter is there's, there's dust and things that, that are generated. Um, and then, you know, maybe from a, you know, a fire hazard perspective. Um, so, I mean, that would really be my question, Matt, is from an HSNE, I mean, are there differences between the two and, and one things to at least consider uh, between the two? Sure. I mean, I, I think the, you know, the interesting thing with some of these dry additives that have come out recently, particularly emulsifiers and wetting agents is um, there's been a big focus on packaging. 
Um, and it's because some of this stuff is pretty combustible. If you think about an emulsifier that isn't cut back with anything. Um, and I'm not speaking to any one specific product. It's just, you know, things I've heard in general, uh, from different folks who've been working on this is that, you know, it's fire hazard and like vacuum sealing your pallets and stuff is, is a great idea, but you're not, or vacuum sealing your bags or whatever you're, you know, stuff gets opened. Right. So, um, understanding that risk that a hundred percent active, something on a carrier could be, you know, more flammable and with dust and that sort of thing could prove more of a fire hazard than right. a liquid tote. Um, you know, all of them, you know, that's why you read the safety data sheet, right? Understand what the risks are. Uh, make sure it's something you're comfortable having on your rig. Um, you know, because the dry additives are interesting in as much as the idea of having a 100% active product where I could add five pounds per barrel of, you know, five or six pounds per barrel of something. And, it, you know, think about how many sacks that is. And that's all I need for my mud versus however many totes. Yeah. Um, so it's... I mean, it's definitely interesting, um, but there are some of those other considerations that I think are, are really worth discussing and um, considering just because we don't we don't want to add another hazard on the rig. We have to we have to make sure that's not overlooked. Um, and a lot of this stuff, of course, like everything in the oil and gas industry, we stole from some other application or process where maybe it's not as risky. Uh, and so we have to keep that in mind. Mm. Yep. No, that's exactly. Well, Matt, I, those are really all the questions I had for you today. Do you have any closing last words for everybody out there? No, I mean, you know, I think it's, it's, let's keep optimistic. That's, and, and, you know, we love those reviews because we really appreciate, um, you know, uh, we really appreciate a good review because we take screen capture, the uh, captures of those to show them to our boss, to show them what a good job we're doing. <laughs> right. So, um, <laughs> So yeah. if you want, if you want to keep listening to the flow line, keep supporting it, so we can prove the the value to our to our folks here at AES. No, but uh, no, that's a great point, Matt. And again, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, any questions? Again, if if there's a great question, we feature it on the show. So we'll just keep growing and and keep answering questions, and hopefully keep educating everyone out there on the drilling fluid side of things. So, Matt, you have yourself a wonderful day, and for everyone out there, be safe. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.